and I will show wonders in the heavens and in the earth, blood and fire and pillars of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness, and the moon into blood before the great and the terrible day of the Lord come. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be delivered. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem shall be deliverance, as the Lord hath said, and in the remnant whom the Lord shall call. All right, everybody, welcome back to the Remnant Call. Praise the Lord. This is the second attempt at the testimony of Brother Benjamin Baruch, and I am excited. Last week when we literally decided to do this program, you can ask Benjamin. Uh, he'll tell you it. Literally, he literally, his phone line got cut right after. It was unbelievable. So we know that the powers of darkness do not want this testimony to go forward, but that's okay because we serve a powerful God. And so we've got Brother Benjamin back on with us tonight. So I'm excited, and I'm not going to play around. Let's bring Brother Benjamin right on the show, and let's get started. Benjamin, are you here with us? Hey, good evening, Frank. Amen. Praise God. Well, Benjamin, that was a crazy time last week with the... I mean, it was literally that. How long was it after we hung up that it happened? Um, it was, a minute or two. Yeah, and then it came on back at the end of the program. Yeah, at the end of the show, the phone line worked again. Oh, well, Which shows us that we really need to cover everything in prayer, you know? I mean, amen. if there's one thing that we are sort of remiss in, and when I say we, I'm talking about, you know, the believers in the West, we just don't deal with the spiritual warfare dimension of the world in which we live. You know, we, we tend to just, you know, even though we know we're in a war, and tonight I'm, <laughs> I'll share some evidence of that with you guys, we just don't think to take the authority and to fight the good fight. You know, the scripture tells us, you know, to take up the weapons, put on the armor, and, um, you know, we just tend to not be as diligent as we should. And, you know, the war is real, and the enemy's raging because they know their time is short. But anyway, it's good to be here, Frank. Amen, brother. Let's open up with a word of prayer and just ask the Lord, um, Benjamin, if you would, to just bring this show in a powerful way to touch many uh, without any interruptions from the enemy, Brother Benjamin. Amen. Lord, this is... The whole world belongs to you, Lord. Everything in the earth is yours. All of the souls of the men, they are yours. Our lives are yours. All things, Lord, were created for your purpose and for your good pleasure. And Lord, we consecrate this program to you. Let it be yours, Lord. Let your spirit move. Let your word of truth come forth. Let a rhema word filled with the power of the Holy Spirit come forth mm. in this program mm-hmm. to break the yoke of darkness of the lives of many. It's the anointing that breaks the yoke. Without the power of your Holy Spirit, Lord, we're just you know, clamoring symbols. We're just noise. We're just intellectual. We're just words. 
words in the wind, Lord, without your anointing we accomplish nothing. So I pray these words would be filled with the power of your Holy Spirit unto the deliverance and the salvation of many in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Hallelujah. Benjamin, this show is, uh, you know, I've known you when I first met you in 1999, right after I got saved. Uh, the Lord used that book, The Day of the Lord is at Hand, uh, to just jerk me out of the powers of darkness. And um, and I, a few months later, right after that, I ended up meeting you. You were on a Prophecy Club tour. I drove all the way from Virginia down to Tennessee with a friend of mine uh, to see you. And I've been listening, Benjamin, to you ever since and uh, been friends with you and and I do I've I've heard a lot of things and I don't know if there's ever been a single show that is just your full testimony. And so Benjamin, I have been asked by people, they've wanted you to share it because there's bits and pieces all around. Uh but it takes about a 20 year period a person would have to go back and piece most of it together with. And so thank you for taking that time. Yeah. Oh, you're welcome. You know, I never so know the the listening audience and, uh, you know, who's on what page. Some people, this may be the first time they've ever even heard me speak. Others perhaps have listened for many years, and so they may may already have a, a lot of background knowledge. And so uh, with that in mind, I tend to assume my audience has been listening and is on the page on a lot of things that I've tried to share with the people of God over the years. But there's always new listeners. And so, Frank, thank you for, for suggesting uh, that it, you know, we do this program at some point. And, and so, praise the Lord. Um, let's begin. But I first, I want to start with the Word of God. And I just want to read a few scriptures for sort of setting the stage uh, for the the message tonight, and I'm just going to be sharing some scriptures from the book of Galatians, and I'm starting in chapter 4, and um, I'm starting with verse 29. As it was then, he that was born after the flesh persecuted him that was born of the Spirit of God, even so it is now. Nevertheless, what saith the scripture? Cast out the bondwoman and her son. For we, through the Spirit, wait for the hope of righteousness, which is by faith. In Jesus, the law availeth nothing. Galatians 5, verse 6. Only faith which worketh by love. For the law, and this is just my commentary, the law worketh through the knowledge of good and evil. And it operates in the, in the world of dark counsel. In the dark places of the earth, they are the places of cruelty. They are the habitations of cruelty, according to the scripture. Nothing being done through the dark counsel of the mind of man is done in the love of God. It's done in the counsel of a fallen man. And it's done according to the way of the flesh. And as always... It will always resist the things of the Spirit, even as those that are born after the flesh will persecute and strive and, and oppose those who have been born of the Spirit of God. 
For if we are led by the Spirit, this is Galatians again, chapter 5, verse 18. If you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. For you've become a new creature. And upon you the mercy and the peace of God abides. The Israel of God, the new creation of the new covenant. And I've, as I will share with you, I've walked out the new covenant by the power of the Holy Spirit. I've walked in the righteousness of faith. I've walked in the holy place with the Lord. So I, I understand the difference between that which is born of the Spirit and that which is born of the flesh. And I've experienced both in my lives, as I'm sure every one of you that is born again can testify as well. So, yeah, let me share just um, some of the highlights from my testimony and, uh, Lord, I pray that I would remember the, the appropriate things that you want shared with our listeners. And I break my testimony up into, really, uh, at this point, there are four uh, main periods. Well, first, what I call the early years, and followed by a time of darkness, or a time of um, captivity, if you will, followed by... Um, a restoration in, in what I call the age of miracles, and then a time of testing, uh, which I refer to as the 30 years of tears, and, and, and to be followed by the final restoration of Israel, which is coming soon upon the earth. And, and I know that for a fact because it's coming soon. I bear witness of it in my own heart and in my own life. In my own personal walk, I've seen the witness and the truth of the Lord in many, many ways. You know, the, God began working in me at, at the age of seven. And I'd been raised a little Christian, and I was a little believer, but I was just a little guy at seven. But for a period of about seven days, right after my seventh birthday, the Lord began to fill me with the Holy Spirit in an incredible anointing. And I, I was literally filled with the, the joy and the love of the Lord and at such a profound level. And I would be laying in my little bed, and I was trying to communicate with my mother. i tell her, Mom, God is so good, Mom. God's good. Because the anointing that was on me was good. And my mom would answer me and say, yes, yes, he is. I'd say, no, Mom, you don't understand. God is so good. That's nice. And, <laughs> and that was my first taste of the, of the Spirit of God at the age of seven. Seven years later, at the age of 14, I was told, somebody shared with our high school football team, of which I was a player, that you could actually meet the Lord and that you could talk with the Lord. And I, I, at first I thought, these people are crazy. But then, you know, my curiosity picked up, and I thought, really? I mean, is it actually possible to meet the Lord? If that's actually true, I would love to meet him. He sounds wonderful. And so I prayed and, and asked the Lord into my life, and, and you no, know, didn't have anything profound happen, just a, just a very calm peace settled into my heart. And within about 30 days... I was at a, uh, a, what was really kind of a outreach at the time 
to a large numbers of people that were coming into the faith in the Jesus movement. This was 1971, and the Jesus Revolution was happening on the West Coast, and I was living in Southern California, and a church called Calvary Chapel had a huge outreach to basically hippies and street people that were that were coming to the Lord, and so they were opening what they were really sort of like Christian commune houses for brothers or, or for sisters. And I was at one of them, and one of the elders came up to me and said, hey, we're going to be praying for your friend Scott to receive the Holy Spirit. Do you want us to pray for you? And I'm like, well, what's that? And they said, oh, that's a gift from Jesus. And I said, oh, well, if it's from Jesus, then for sure I want it. So they they prayed for me, and, and as they prayed for me, I felt 10 million gallons of living water pour into my head, and, and it felt like millions of volts of electricity filled my body. And and they literally, after after they finished praying for us, they literally picked me up and put me in a chair in the corner of the room, and, and I just sat there for probably an hour on just in an incredible anointing. And at that point, uh, my life dramatically changed. The next day, when I began to pray, the Lord answered me, and I could hear him with my ears. And he began to speak audibly to me, literally every day. And I didn't know that was unusual. I was just a brand-new Christian, and now I'd been filled with the Holy Spirit, and and I remember I was reading my Bible, I just began to read the Bible for the first time, and I found a, a passage where the Lord said, my sheep hear my voice, and I remember saying out loud, wow, they sure do, I hear you loud and clear, Lord, and so for these early years, hearing from the Lord was literally a normal part of my daily walk of faith, and you know, I don't think I shared much at that time with very many people that God was talking audibly to me. I just assumed that he was talking to everybody like that. I honestly didn't know that most people had not heard the audible voice of God. I didn't find that out until much later in my life when I started to tell people things God had been saying, and I found out they didn't like what I was sharing, and a lot of them had never heard the Lord either. But in the early years of my walk by faith, the Lord began to speak amazing things to me. Um, only really, I should have probably taken notes throughout my life and written down everything the Lord said, because I, it's a terrible thing to have lost some of it in, you know, in terms of having forgotten. But um, the most important things I remember, early on, one of the things that really kind of astonished me, the Lord spoke to me and he said, your life is going to be the same as the history of your people Israel. And you will walk out in your days the history and the destiny of your nation. And, you know, I didn't quite know what to think about that at the time, but I'm like, okay, I get to walk out the history of Israel. And then again the Lord spoken another word which he repeated many times. I would, uh, I would estimate over the first four years of my walk as a believer, the Lord repeated this one statement every month for at least four years. And I mean, I heard this over and over again. He would say to me, when you turn 40, I am going to use you. 
and I'm making you into a weapon, and we will level the mountains. I remember I was so young, I had no idea what any of that meant. And so I would answer the Lord, and, and I, in a little kid way, I would go, ooh, a weapon. And what are these mountains? I mean, I knew nothing other than something was going to happen when I turned 40. And I remember, you know, when I was a young believer, I kept thinking, oh, I can't wait till I turn 40. This is going to be so exciting. The Lord is going to use me. And I had no idea that at the same time the world would want to abuse me. But that's what happens when God's using you. You run into a lot of opposition. And, you know, during those early years, it was, it was really, you know, I was just growing up. I was just a kid and, um, and growing up with the Lord. I remember um, at one point saying my prayers in bed and, and um, getting ready to go to sleep, and I said goodnight to the Lord, and I told him, and I'll talk with you in the morning, Lord, thinking I'll just fall asleep, and, and then suddenly I was caught up in the Spirit. And I was standing in utter darkness, holding my Bible, and I was glowing, light coming out of me. And Satan appeared in front of me and tried to attack me and, and like, claw out my eyes. And, and I lifted my hand, and I rebuked him. And as I rebuked him, it was like light came, literally as bright as the sun was coming out of my hand. And the enemy just disappeared into an, ex- like an explosion, was gone. And then the enemy turned on my left, and... And attacked me again, and I turned and rebuked the enemy. And then he appeared behind me, and I turned and rebuked him again. And, and then I lost all my peace, and I became greatly troubled. And the Lord spoke to me and said, The enemy attacks from the right. Turn and rebuke the darkness. And so I turned, and I never did see the enemy on the right side, but I rebuked the darkness, and my peace returned unto me. And then I was back in my bed. And my first reaction, I actually began to repent. And um, I, I repented. I said, Lord, I've just had a vain imagination. I imagined I had a vision. I thought it was all in my imagination. And the Lord spoke to me and said, no, that wasn't a sin. That was a real vision. And I thought, well, I said, Lord, the scripture says that if you give a vision, you'll give the interpretation. So I pray for the interpretation. God literally downloaded an hour's worth of information into my head as the meaning of that vision. And, Frank, I started getting so excited. I'm I'm thinking to myself, wow, you know, it's my first real vision, and I must be doing really good with the Lord, and, you know, I'm going places, right? (laughs) And the Lord... I'm telling you, here I'm getting all excited thinking this is like, you know, really a big, you know, banner moment in my life. And the Lord says to me, I don't know what you're so excited about. He pours water on my little parade. And he says to me, everything you've just seen is now going to happen to you. And I merely wanted to warn you. And I'm like, oh, that cooled my jets. And true... You know, very briefly, those are the four attacks of Satan. The first is in your face, the frontal attack, through your mind. If, God, if Satan can trick you into thinking your thoughts are above the Word of God, you're done. Bag it. Tag it and bag it. You're history, spiritually. But, you know, those of us who know the Lord and know the Word, we don't fall for that one. The left is the world, you know. The enemy attacks us through the world. That's obvious that it's the enemy. 
attack from behind is his accusations against believers. You know, I call it the rearview mirror method. He sits in the back seat of the car and he points out all the things you did wrong in in your past. You know, accuses you. What kind of Christian are you? Look at all the things you've done that were a failure. But we know that when we repent and, and we turn from those failures and those sins, that they're covered by the blood of the Lamb, and and therefore we have no reason to be ashamed. But the attack from the right is the one that really. It gets us every time because we never see it coming because it comes from the church. It comes from that brother that was prophesying to you last week. or It comes from the pastor that you thought was someone you could trust. Or it comes from your best friend who for some reason suddenly is offended with you and, and won't return your phone call. And you find out he's been slandering you all over the world because you trusted him and confided in him. So it's the attack through through the body. And, and so those things began to happen to me. And, you know, the first few were kind of easy. I mean, you know, that the frontal attack, you just rebuke the enemy. You know, get out of my face, Satan. You're a liar, and the Word of God is the only truth. The world is obvious, and the accusations of the past are, are easy to address as well. But that attack through the body, that's a tough one. And so that one pretty much shook me up. But I recovered, and I was literally excommunicated from a church for things I never did. It was the bizarrest situation, but at the time it was also a great trial. You know, and towards the end of these early years, I, I had gone on to the university. I was actually at UCLA, and just share one instance of uh, that sort of stands out during that period. I remember one morning I was coming out of the little student's cafeteria, and and there was a homeless guy that was at the dorm, and he was the most filthy person I've ever seen in my life. His jeans were so stained with dirt and grease that they were black, practically black. His hair had clumps of dirt in it with grass growing out of them. So the guy literally had little clumps of dirt in his head with grass growing. I mean, it's like he had slept in the bushes that night. And I'm, I see him walking towards me, and I thought, oh, Lord, don't let him talk to me, because I'm kind of a clean person. I really don't like a lot of dirt, and this guy was covered in it. And of course, he came right up to me, and he says to me, hey, I haven't eaten for three days, and I was wondering if you had any money for food. And I didn't, but I had mercy on him, and I offered him to come up to my dorm room, and he could eat my college food, you know, the string cheese and the orange juice we all survived on. And while we were in college, and so he ate my little refrigerator. He literally emptied it of all of his little college snacks, and and um, he stands up and he goes, "Well, gotta go." And I'm like, "All right." And he, he literally gets to the door. He opens the door to leave my little dorm room. He turns around and goes, "Oh, I almost forgot." And he holds up his hand, his right hand, towards me, and he says, The Lord God Almighty bless you. And I looked at him and I said, He already has. And, and the homeless guy said, I know. And his eyes, Frank, they turned into golden fire. And I realized I'd been entertaining an angel. And literally he stepped through the door. I'm lunging for the guy because I'm going to tackle him. I'm not going to let him leave if I can get to him, because I've got questions I want to ask. 
literally the door closed. I open it again, and he has disappeared. And I'm in the middle of a hallway where it was 50 feet either way before he could get out of that hall. He had literally disappeared. Wow. So that was just sort of a not an unusual thing for me at that point in my life. But in my second year at UCLA, I, having been a Christian at that point for probably four, going on five years, I wanted to go see what was going on in the world. And I, I told the Lord, I said, Lord, I, I want to go check out the world. I want to go to one of these fraternity parties, and I want to drink a beer, and I want to meet some of these cute girls, and I want to go see what's going on in the world a little bit. I didn't hear from the Lord for three years at that point. And my life spiraled down. And, I mean, it, it got so bad that the enemy began to appear to me. And for me and uh, one of my closest friends, uh, we had, we had the, the, the enemy, the demonic spirits, as well as the principalities appearing to us and speaking to us. And that's a terrifying thing. Um, I wouldn't wish that on anybody. And they were telling us, you guys, um, you've lost your salvation. We can't do this to a Christian. And you're coming with us. You need to figure out who you are, because you're coming with us. And, and the, you know, the enemy was challenging us that we were no longer saved. And the Lord was nowhere to be found. I went to church at one point and, and, and talked with, with the pastors at church, and I said, look, you know, my friends and I, we're having this problem. Satan keeps appearing, you know, the principalities that rule the United States that keep appearing, they're, they're telling us we're not even saved. And the pastor said to me, well, they can't do that to a Christian. And I thought, oh, that's exactly what the devil said. And so I thought the devil was telling me the truth. I didn't know the pastors were lying or the pastors were, you know, misinformed or the pastors were deceived. So I actually believed I'm, I must have lost my salvation. And it was, it was a terrible time to think, you know, wow, here I had known the Lord and now suddenly I just wanted to go to a, a party and drink one beer and next thing you know I've lost my salvation and now I'm going to hell for eternity. And I've got the enemy telling me I don't have much time left, and I better figure out who I am. Well, I never uh, joined them, but I decided I wanted to study what killed me. I thought, you know, how did this happen? You know, I just wanted to go to a, a party, and now I'm going to hell. You know, what? how did this sin thing sneak up and kill me like this? And so I thought, I'm going to study the darkness, and I'm going to find out how this sin stuff works, and how in the world did I lose my salvation. And so for the next three years, I studied the darkness. And, um, and I began to, I was sort of a partisan behind enemy lines, if you will. And it was really a terrible time. I'm glad I don't remember much of this time. And, um, you know, I never talk about any of these details. But after three years in the darkness, I was sitting in my parents' home, and I was still in, in college at the time. Um, I was sitting in my parents' home, and a mighty wind just blew open the front doors. There were double doors on the entrance to this house, and 
and the mighty wind of the Holy Spirit literally blew the doors open, and like a mighty wind, like a Russian wind, came in the living room, and the whole room lit up with the Shekinah glory of the Lord. And I had not heard from the Lord or had any contact with Him for, for over three years, and the presence of God comes into my house, and the Lord speaks audibly to me, and He says to me, I want you to do me a favor. Now, I've had a lot of people mock my message, you know, claiming, well, God would never say that. Well, you know... Um, hold your criticisms. He, he, he definitely said that to me. I want you to do me a favor. And I, I said, Lord, what do, you, what do you want me for? I'm not even saved anymore. I'm a pagan now, remember? And the Lord, he didn't even address that comment. He said to me, I want you to pray for the babies that are being murdered in America. That really startled me, and I, I said, what do you want me to pray for? Why don't you just get your church to pray? Now, I, didn't, I wasn't trying to be a smart aleck. I just didn't understand. I mean, what good would my prayers do? I wasn't even a believer, or I wasn't saved at that point. I was walking under the darkness, and I didn't understand. And why don't you just get your church to pray? I don't, I don't get it. And the Lord answered me, and he said, I've asked my church to pray, and they won't pray. And that was in the year... I think 1977, maybe it was 1978, the church won't pray. Now, I know if you went to Christians at that time, and you know you could have interviewed any church in, on any street in any city in America, and if you asked them, hey, did the Lord ask you guys to pray for the babies being murdered in America, and did you say no to the Lord? Oh, they would deny, oh, no, no way, that never happened. Yeah, but, in, but Jesus said it did. So we can, you know, we can tell the Lord no and not realize we've even done it. We can close our ears to hearing the voice of God and not realize we've closed our ears spiritually. We can literally turn to the delusion of the mind of the flesh. We can, we can be swept away by the great apostasy, the great falling away, and not even know it happened. Or the Lord can leave the church... And most people who have already fallen into compromise won't even know he's gone. Well, I knew the Lord was gone from my life. And instead, I had the enemy. It was terrible. But then Jesus came and said, I want you to do me this favor. And when I said, well, you know, why don't you just get your church to pray? And he told me, well, I've asked my church to pray, and they won't pray. And um, he says, I just want you to pray. And at that point, the glory of God left my house. And I'm literally, I'm totally confused. I'm thinking, I do not understand what just happened. You know, God wants a favor. Babies are being killed. The church won't even pray. I don't understand any of this. What does God possibly want me for? And then I started thinking, you know, even though I'm going to hell and all, um, I still like the Lord. I was still his friend. I mean, you know, most of you guys have never um, never lived through an experience where you thought you were doomed. You know, in, in the Valley of Dry Bones, Israel, those dry bones, which were the, all that was left of the nation of Israel, you know, they, Israel cried out, our hope is lost. 
surely our God has forgotten us. And so, you know, I was in that kind of dry bones place where my hope was lost. And here God was asking me for a favor. So I'm starting to think now, okay, well, I like the Lord a lot. You know, even though I'm going to hell, I'll still do him a favor. And then I thought, you know what? I like babies, too. I do. I, I love little babies. I'm thinking, you know, they're getting murdered. Surely they need some help. I can help the babies as well. And then I thought, wait a minute. God's a righteous God. If I do this favor for the Lord, ha, on Judgment Day, when it's my turn to go to hell, I'll be able to raise my hand and say, Lord, remember the favor that I did for you, and I won't go to the worst part of hell. You know, because the servant who had known the Master's will and had not done it would be, we're, you know, we're told in the Scriptures, that servant will receive many stripes. So not only did I believe I had my ticket to hell punched, but I thought I was facing the many stripes. And then I, I thought, well, if I do this favor for the Lord, maybe I'll have a few less stripes, right? And then I thought, you know, wait a minute, I know why God wants me to do this. I've been behind enemy lines for three years. I know exactly what to do. I, matter of fact, I even know the names of the principalities that rule the United States. I've met them. I know exactly who to attack. And so I thought, I'm, that's why he asked me. I can actually do this job for him. And so I did. Um, I began to go into spiritual warfare and taking literally spiritual authority in the name of Jesus and taking authority against the ruling principalities and powers, battling over the lives of the babies that, were, that the demons were trying to murder in the United States of America. And, and my prayer turned into travailing prayer very quickly. And those of you who experienced it, you know what I'm talking about, but most Christians uh, um, haven't really ever experienced travailing prayer. Travailing prayer is a lot... It's a lot like childbirth. Um, it's a lot like dying. <laughs> um, you're pouring out your whole heart in, in grief unto death. And I would be praying on, um, I prayed in a little back room that had tile floor, Spanish tile floors, the big Spanish pavers. And, and my prayer would go for several hours. And when I would finish, there would be a puddle. A literal puddle from my tears. Would, and a big one, too. And I had literally travailed against these wicked forces. And this went on for about a month. After, and after the month, the Lord came to my house again. A second time. Blew the doors open. The glory of God filled my living room. And... and the Lord said to me, your prayers would be more effective if you would take all of your karate equipment, because I, I was in the martial arts in that period of darkness, take all of your karate equipment and all of your occult paraphernalia to the beach and burn it. And I said, okay. And I got a big trash bag and put all my karate stuff and all my occult stuff that I'd been researching in the darkness and everything related to Kabbalah and all of the mystical arts. Put it all in a big bag, went down to the place we called the pit, where we used to see into the darkness. 
when it burned it. And as it burned, I could see the demonic faces howling out of flames. And I literally felt 20,000 tons come off my shoulders. And for the first time in years, the peace come upon me. And, and as I drove back home, I walked into my house. And the Lord was still at my house. I don't know if he left and came back. Or if, or if he stayed, but God was waiting for me. And I can tell you tonight, God is waiting for you. There are people listening. God's waiting for you. He's waiting for a lot of us to make a choice. Which way are we going to go? We can't halt between two opinions. You know, in that middle ground, it's not going to exist much longer. We have to decide what we're going to believe. We have to decide what we're going to invest our lives in. And the Lord's waiting. But the Lord waited for me. I came home. I walked into my living room, and I, I was astonished that the Lord was still there. And the Lord, he spoke to me again, and he said, Your prayers would be even more effective if you would come home now. And I, I answered him, I said, home? I, 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 don't, I don't know what that means, Lord. I've never had a home. I don't even know what that word means. I've never even experienced living in a home. You know, the house I lived in was more like um, Afghanistan or Iraq on a bad day. And um, I never really felt like I had a home, honestly, and, I said, Lord, I, I don't even know what that word means. I've never had a home. And the Lord said to me, oh, yes, you do. You have a home. Your home's with me. And I want you to come home. And that's when I realized, wow, he's talking about saving me. I don't have to go to hell. I'm going to get to go to heaven. Well, that was a big day in my life, obviously. Because when you think you're You've committed the unpardonable sin, and you think that you're, you're doomed for all of eternity, and Jesus comes to your house to save you personally. It's a really big deal. And so I got on fire for the Lord. And that began what I call the age of miracles. And I wish I would have kept a journal, because it was a daily event of miracles. It was miracles upon miracles, and I wish I would have written them all down, but I'll just share one or two um, briefly with you. Uh, one morning, uh, I'm sitting having breakfast, and the Lord spoke to me and said, I want you to go to the missions conference in San Diego, which I had received an invitation for in the mail, and the Lord said to me, um, I want you to make your reservation, but do not seek directions. I will direct you as you drive your car. I thought, okay. And so I made the reservation. I knew the name of a hotel, and I knew it was in the city of San Diego, and I lived about 100 miles to the north in Orange County, California. And when the time to go to the conference had come, um, I got in my car, and I began driving on the 405 freeway, which is the main highway down to San Diego. And as soon as I got on the freeway at Jamboree in the 405, I started talking to the Lord. I'm like, Lord, I'm on the freeway now. 
And Lord, you promised to direct me. And Lord, I don't. Please don't let me get lost. I, I hate getting lost. In you know, look at the unbelief in us, right? I mean, God had already told me, "I will direct you as you drive your car." You know, God always keeps His word. But you know, I was like a little much afraid from the all the, you know, the um. I forget the name of the book at the moment, but you guys know what I'm talking about. You know, here, God had already told me he would direct me, but, you know, now I'm still full of fear. And, I, you know, as soon as I'm on the road, I mean, I've got an hour and a half drive before I get to downtown San Diego. But I want to know the directions right now. So I'm like, Lord, you know, please, you know, don't let me get lost. Lord, I hate getting lost. And the Lord answers me only he doesn't talk. He didn't even mention the directions. He said to me, I've canceled your hotel reservation. I'm like, I don't even say anything. I'm thinking, what? And he paused. And then he said, and they've given your room away. <laughs> okay. Again, I'm silent. And then the Lord continued, and the hotel is full. That was it. He canceled my reservations. They've given away my room, and now the hotel's full. So I kind of look up to heaven after hearing this, and I give a little pouty face, you know, with my, my lips. I'm like, what you doing me? And I said, Lord, you know, um, well, what do you want me to do, sleep in my car? You know, what am I supposed to do about that? And, um, and the Lord said, you know, when you get to the hotel, don't get upset. I just sit in the lobby and wait for me. I'll get you a room. I only wanted to move you. Now, God doesn't, I, one thing I know for sure, God does not like people complaining. So, you know, I'm not going to complain about this uh, change in itinerary. But in my head, I'm thinking, now, why did God cancel my reservation? I mean, we could have had the right reservation, right? And I'm thinking, am I supposed to be in the lobby, for, you know, for a reason? Do I, is there an assignment? I'm wondering, you know, maybe I'm supposed to do something in this lobby. God doesn't just do random in my life, you know? I mean, he was using my time efficiently, so I'm wondering what's the, uh, you know, what's going to happen in all of this. And, you know, as we get to San Diego, he told me where to turn, and led me right to the hotel, and sure enough, when I tried to check in, they were very upset because I had a confirmed reservation number, and they had a full hotel. And now, had the Lord not told me what was going on, I probably, being the A-type personality that I am, I probably would have had a few words for them about, you know, the this reservation situation, but since I was already in on, you know, the gig of what was going on, um, I was completely, you know, relaxed. I said, oh, don't, you know, don't worry about a thing. I'm sure you'll find me a room. I'll just sit in the lobby and wait. It's fine. And so I did. And after about 45 minutes, they called me up and they said, listen, we've had a cancellation and we're so sorry for the inconvenience. And I had originally signed up for a double occupancy room because I'm a college student. I didn't have any money. So I was going to have a roommate who I didn't even know. But they informed me the room that was canceled was an executive suite. And so I was going to get my own executive suite right off the pool and I wouldn't have to have a roommate. And I'm like, okay. And a guy I don't even know is standing behind me and he says, oh man, I don't want to have a roommate. You know, could I could you give me that room, you know, would you trade with me and give me the executive suite, and would you take this double occupancy room? Now, in the mind of the flash, I would tell that guy, 
what are you dreaming? <laughs> You're kidding me, right? You're even asking this stupid question. Do I want to downgrade myself? But at the time, I was walking in the spirit. And so I would defer, you know, any kind of important decision to the Lord. And so when he asked me that question, I, I just said, you know, in my heart, I said, Lord, trade with him. Okay, sure. Here's, you take the executive suite. I'll take the roommate. Thank you very much. And, and that's how I met my roommate, Kevin. And, and we went to the Friday night opening part of this missions conference. And it was the, a dinner event and met two other believers that we had sort of had some koinonia fellowship with. And, and after the evening was ending, I mentioned to the other three people, I said, hey, do you guys want to go upstairs and pray for a few minutes before we go to bed? And everybody's like, yeah, that's a great idea. Let's go pray. And so we went up to one of the hotel rooms, and we all sat down, and, and we began to pray. And we prayed for about five minutes. And I looked at my watch, and it was 7 a.m. And we had started praying at 10 p.m. And nine hours had elapsed, and I thought it was five minutes. And, and I interrupted everybody. I said, you guys, it's 7 in the morning. Does anyone know what just happened to us? And everyone was like, what? What are you talking about? I go, look at the clock. Frank, we had been praying for nine hours, and every one of us would have told you it had been only five minutes. Wow. Amen. You know, um, at the time, I had no idea what in the world had happened to us. Uh, God had done something for nine hours with the four of us that he, he didn't want to let us know. He didn't want us to remember. But we knew we had been with the Lord for nine hours. Well, the next night, right, this is, you know, we literally had to stop. It was 7 in the morning. We all went back to our hotel rooms, took a shower, changed our clothes, and got ready for the next day. And, and that night after the conference, we all got together, and I, and I said, you know, you guys want to go pray again? <laughs> you want to go see if we can figure out what happened to us? And everyone's like, yeah, let's go see if we can figure this out, because, you know, I've been blown away. I've never seen anything like that in my life. Well, that night, we you know, I could remember, we all remembered what happened. And, and, and you know, we, again, we started praying at about 10 o'clock at night, and it was the most amazing all-night prayer vigil because the Lord was speaking audibly to all four of us and giving visions, and, and the anointing, the power of the Holy Spirit kept growing and growing and growing to the point where by 4 o'clock in the morning, you know, my hands are anointed, and, and when the anointing comes upon me, my hands, they literally become filled with fire. And, and by 4 a.m., Frank, my hands are literally burning. And I mean like they're really on fire, and I mean it is starting to really hurt, and, and um, I'm getting scared because the anointing keeps growing, and I'm thinking, man, I'm going to explode in a minute here. And I cried out. I said, Lord, you know, you're starting to hurt me. This is hurting me, Lord. You're scaring me now. And, uh, and the Lord, he answered, and he said, you never thought you'd have to pray for that. Now, did you? <laughs> and, and Frank, he started laughing. I heard Jesus laugh. Mm. He's got the best laugh I've ever heard. It's 
so awesome. You guys, wait till we get Amen. to the kingdom. And, and the Lord is so full of joy. And he, he does not, I'd have never heard the Lord tell jokes. I don't think the Lord tells jokes. But he laughs at real world circumstances that are legitimately funny. And it was funny. I mean, here's a little Benjamin, you know, in the full anointing, literally about to, you know, spontaneous combustion, <laughs> crying out in fear of God and the Lord laughing, saying, you never thought you'd have to pray for that, you know. Did you ever imagine you're going to have to pray that you don't burn physically from the power of the Holy Spirit that's come upon you? Because the presence of God is going to be so powerful that without your prayer, you would literally, the, the cells in your body would begin to explode and you would experience the very burning of an actual fire. You never thought that could happen. I never did either, but it does, and it will. And those of you that are part of the anointed remnant, you're going to have to pray about that. Isn't that amazing? But here the Lord, you know, he said, you never thought you'd have to pray for that, did you? And he started laughing. And, and, and at that point, two hands reached down and grabbed my hands that were above my head. And Jesus held my hands, and they stopped burning. And um, that was a Sunday morning, and by about 7 o'clock, we got ready to go for the, next, for the rest of the session. And, and God did many miracles that morning, and every time it was like a geyser exploding in me. The Spirit would move in a healing or a miracle. And, and um, after this conference ended, my roommate, Kevin, he needed a ride back to uh, Orange County, and we were getting ready to leave, and, an, and an, a prophet came up to us and began to prophesy that Kevin would be sent as a missionary to the poor down to Central America. Then he turned to me and he said, and you will be sent to the rich and to the powerful and to the kings of the earth and to share the good news and to convert their wealth for the purposes of the kingdom. And, and previously that morning I'd gone forward for prayer and um, I could see the Shekinah glory with my eyes over the whole congregation. And One of the elders had turned to me and said, Receive from Jesus Christ today, for Jesus Christ has given you everything. And as Kevin and I began to leave to drive home, we started driving up the 5 freeway, and, and it wasn't long before a car would be driving past us. They'd slam on the brakes. They'd roll the windows down, and they'd start honking their horn, and they'd start shouting out the window. And I could tell they had been weeping. And I rolled my driver's window down, and, and I heard them shouting at us, Who are you? Who are you? Because the anointing had literally hit them. They'd driven by us, and the presence of God had brought such conviction upon them, and they knew it was coming out of... Our car, I guess. This happened like five or six times. A carload of Christians would be driving past us. As soon as they'd get next to us, they'd slam on the brakes, roll down the windows, and they'd be weeping and screaming and waving their arms and shouting at us, Who are you? Who are you? And I turned to Kevin. I said, Kevin, who are we? He said, I don't know. I don't either. But as we continued down the road, the, the Lord spoke to us, and he said, I want you to pray that I remove my anointing from you because I'm sending you back to my church and they cannot receive you in my presence. 
Now, I was not real excited about that commandment because I really liked the presence of the Lord and did not want to come out. But we obeyed the Lord and we prayed. And I could feel, we both literally felt seven waves of the Holy Spirit lift off of us. And I thought we were out of the anointing. When we pulled off to stop for gas, and I remember I opened the door and I got out of the car at the service station and there were a number of other people there that were pumping gas or doing whatever and every one of them began to weep and get down on their hands and knees on the greasy, oily concrete of the gas station crying out for mercy that God would forgive their sins. I hadn't said a word. All I did is open the door. And this was after the anointing had left. This was the afterglow of what we were walking in. And as we continued on the, towards the hotel I was going to drop Kevin at, the Lord spoke to both of us. And, and he said, when you get to the hotel in Anaheim, a man that I, I have been chasing for many years is going to crash into your car. And when he does... Get out and speak to him the words that I give you. And don't worry about the car. It's only going to be a little ding. And besides, it's my car. <laughs> and so I turned to Kevin. I go, Kevin, the Lord's going to crash his car. And you know, at first I said, you know, Lord, I thought I had the pink slip on this car. Because, you know, the registration was in my name. You know, and God had just said it was his car. And the Lord said to me, Everything in the earth is mine, including your car. Now, I didn't know that doctrine at that time, but then now I did. I, so I turned to Kevin and I said, Kevin, the Lord's going to crash his car, and we're going to be in it. <laughs> this is going to really be exciting. We've got to watch for this accident. I wish I had this on videotape. As we get to this hotel, the two of us are like scrunched down, you know, with our heads against the, the headrest in the back, preparing for crash position. <laughs> trying to look around to see who's going to crash into our car. And, of course, we didn't see him. He snuck up and smacked us from behind. And I get out of the car, and I didn't even walk towards the man. I literally just stepped out of the car and lifted up my hand. I point my finger at him, and I said, I don't know who you are, but the Lord told me I would meet you this way. And the Lord says to you that if you don't stop your sinning and repent and return to the Lord, the Lord is going to kill you. And this is your final warning. And the guy literally turned white like a sheet and started shaking in fear. And I didn't even look at the damage. I just got in the car and I drove off. I didn't look at it till the next day. And it was a ding. And by the way, that's not slang. That word is in the dictionary. And I've had people literally say, oh, Benjamin, he's such a liar. God wouldn't use slang. Hey, God said these things, people. And, um, I w you know, the scripture says, be ye not mockers unless you want the chains on you to be made stronger. Um, you know, go read the book of Ezekiel. Read the, the scriptures. You know, the Lord had his messengers say and do some pretty interesting things. Don't be mocking what you don't understand, you know. Test all things. Don't take anything on face value. If God wants you to hear me, he'll confirm it. Otherwise, turn me off, but don't scoff and mock against the true word of the God. 
And you'll find it is a, an unwise thing to do, particularly in such a late hour as this. But in any event, I get home, and the Lord says to me, I want you to go to church tonight, to the Christian concert at church. And then after that, I want you to go and speak to the elders in the prayer room, and then I want you to go talk to Rich and Marty, who were two of my friends at the time. And so I went to the concert, and this was Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, and they had these um, Sunday night youth concerts at the time, and huge line of people, probably 400 people lined up, and I'm walking across the parking lot, and every person in that line stops talking and starts staring at me. That's a really uncomfortable feeling. And I notice a few friends of mine that were in the line, and so I come walking up towards them, and before I could even get to them, they start yelling at me, where have you been? What's happened to you? And I said, well, I've been with the Lord this weekend. Why? Your face is glowing. This is true. This really happened. I didn't know my face had been glowing, but they that's what their testimony was. Well, anyway, we went into the concert, and and as the music began, this was when the brand-new Christian rock music first came into the churches, and as soon as this new Christian rock and roll band began to play their so-called Christian music, I saw thousands and thousands of devils literally fly up out of the stage, fill the entire auditorium, and literally, they were flying in a canopy over the people. And I mean, it was like 20 feet thick, you guys. Okay, there must have been thousands of these evil spirits, like a huge cesspool. And I'm horrified, and I'm in, I can see this with my eyes. I'm in spiritual warfare the whole time until the music stopped. And as far as I could tell, the rest of the people were clapping their hands and tapping their feet. And, you know, the church had a good time in the flesh. Well, I had a terrible time in the spirit in that place of false worship, and that's when the, the counterfeit worship, the satanic counterfeit, first came in, and that's what opened the door to the devastation that occurred in the charismatic churches, where the false worship came, followed by the false prophets, the false teaching, the false anointing. You know, all that's left is a false messiah. Oh, wait, we got a false prophet, too, sitting in Rome ready to bring the final deception. And believe me, there will be many, there will be multitudes that follow them into perdition. But, I mean, I was absolutely horrified. Now, when the music stopped, the demons left, and then this, this band gave an altar call. And I thought, what are they calling the people to? Well, they show up with thousands of devils and then tell people to come forward? I mean, they. this was very spirit-filled music. The problem is it was filled with the spirit of Satan. i got to tell you guys, you know, I listen to Christian radio sometimes, um, and there's some music that's anointed. There's a whole lot of Christian music that ain't, there ain't nothing Christian about it, except for they came in Jesus' name. And the Lord told us, many will come in my name and deceive many. And you guys who've been listening to me know the, the word is polis in the Greek, and it means the vast majority. It's like 97.5%. They deceived many. And um, after the concert, I went to talk to the elders, and I was, 
They couldn't hear me. I was absolutely astonished. I was trying to speak to them in the power of the anointing, and and they weren't hearing me. They had they they were deaf. And the scripture says, "There's nobody as blind as my servants. No one is deaf as my servants." They were they were unable to hear. And, and I remember at one point thinking, you know, I wonder when I should I wonder when I should leave because I have to go on this other assignment tonight and. And the Lord actually began to yell at me. And he said, you be about my business. And do not be concerned with what to do next. I will tell you when it's time to go. And I'm like, ooh. The Lord doesn't want us being anxious about what to do next. He wants us in the moment. He will lead us when it's time to go to the next assignment. And so I repented and I got back focused. And then, then shortly thereafter, the Lord said, all right, let's wrap up here. It's time to go. And so I did, and I got in my car, and, you know, I began to drive to Marty's house, which is where you would always find Rich and Marty. And as I'm driving, all of a sudden the car decides to take a left-hand turn. I took my hands off the wheel, and I said, you know, I yelled, who's driving this car? The car makes a perfect left. And about two blocks down, it, Rich and Marty pull out in front of me. And, How did you find us? Oh, the Lord told me I had to talk to you guys tonight. Well, we're going to go to a bar and shoot pool. You want to go? Lord, go. Okay. As I walk in this bar, the anointing that had been removed came down like a tidal wave. And as I walked through the door in the bar, there was probably 200 people in this pool hall. Every one of them jumped out of their chair or jumped from their feet into the air. 200 people went airborne. I mean, it was pretty radical to watch. And, I mean, literally, it shook the place. And as I was, I was playing pool in the middle of this establishment, preaching the gospel in this bar, and I could tell in the spirit that Satan was trying to hide people in the back of the crowd because he was afraid if I would see them, I might pray for them. That's how powerful our prayers can be, brothers and sisters. But so, you know, that was that was Sunday night. I hadn't slept Friday night. I hadn't slept Saturday night. Both of them were all nighters with the Lord. Sunday night, about two in the morning, the bar closed. My friends went home. I'm so full of the anointing. I'm not even tired. So the Lord tells me to go to the beach. I go down to the beach in Corona del Mar. California, and I pray the rest of the night, and I literally see Satan fall from heaven with my eyes. And in the morning, the Lord told me to go to uh, an older Christian woman who was a friend of mine, go to her house, and so I do, and, and um, she opens the door about 9 o'clock in the morning, and she says, oh, look who's come full of the Holy Spirit today. And we weren't talking for more than 10 minutes, and she got a phone call, and it was a prayer request. Someone's teenage son had locked themselves in the bathroom with a gun and was threatening suicide. And we went into prayer, and I could see Satan in front of me in the spirit, and I, and I had the sword of the spirit in my hand, and I went lunging forward, and I stabbed him with the sword. And, and as I pulled the sword back, Satan turned into a teddy bear pulled the teddy bear off the sword and there was a huge gaping hole and the stuffing was coming out and I threw the teddy bear on the ground and I rebuked it and the Lord said to me my people are playing with things they don't understand
the enemy's got an inroad into many, many lives. People think harmless. What could be more harmless than a teddy bear? It's a child's toy, but yet it was an access point for Satan. And so that was that was the end of that. That was the end of that weekend. And I honestly wish I had written down everything that happened in that time. You know, that was um, that, that was just a normal part of uh, what I called the age of miracles. And you know, I remember at one point I had a I'd met sort of a friend of uh, my younger brother who had just become a Christian, and and I had been sort of discipling him. And he came to me um, one day and he said, "Hey, I've I've started going to a Bible study at my college." As soon as he said this, the hair on the back of my neck went up, and I'm, I'm like starting to growl like a sheepdog. Not good. I had no idea why, but I knew there was a problem. And I said, listen, I want to go to your Bible study. And um, so I did. I made arrangements to go to his college. and um, I was so full of the Holy Spirit driving to his college that I was in, I mean, I was literally floating in the anointing. And so much so, I actually had been speeding and not knowing it, and I got pulled over by the highway patrol, and... When they came up to my car, you know, they said, you know, you were driving, you know, you know exceeding the speed limit. And I, I repented. I said, listen, I've been trying to stop. I was just distracted. And, you know, please, I want to repent. And the police looked at me and they said, no one's ever repented before. <laughs> we can't write you a ticket. <laughs> and so they let me go. And I remember walking across the college campus and I felt like I was literally walking on air. I was so full of the Holy Spirit. And I came up to the room where they were having the Bible study. And Frank, as soon as I walked in the door, the anointing immediately quenched. I'm like, oh no, Lord, what, what did I do? I'm trying to think, you know, did I do something to offend the Lord? And so I sat through this Bible study, no anointing at all, and the Bible study was actually doctrinally correct. But it was absolutely devoid of the anointing of the Lord. And when the study ended, I walked out of that room. As soon as I walked out of that meeting, my anointing returned. And I went, okay, this thing is a satanic cult. And, and the, the religious spirits that are at work are so powerful they can restrict the anointing. Now, some of you guys don't know how that works. Some people will say, that's impossible, Benjamin. You know, speaking as if you know something about, really, as if you're an expert in a subject you know nothing about. Believe me, there's a war in the Spirit. And Christians don't pray enough. And we don't take authority enough. Because we haven't been trained. You know, we heard a bunch of garbage growing up. Name it and claim it. You know? We pray for one second. Oh, that's done. No, it's not. It's not done till it's done. And you stay in prayer. And in many instances today, it needs prayer and fasting. You stay in that place until the breakthrough occurs. Then you're done. You know, the Lord himself prayed twice for a man that was blind. The first time he prayed, the man's vision was partially healed. How is that possible? I don't know, but it's how it works. The Lord prayed a second time. If Jesus needed to pray twice, 
We need to continue in prayer until the breakthrough occurs. And you'll know when the breakthrough occurs. You don't just claim it. You know, the church is being defeated because we have been deceived. For lack of knowledge, my people perish. Being stupid will get you killed. Now, you won't lose your salvation. We'll see you in the kingdom. But you've lost part of your testimony. And perhaps you've lost part of the crown the Lord intended for you to wear. Hallelujah. So, in the age of miracles, I'm walking through what was really the best time of my life. And uh, I remember, Frank, I, I could remember waking up in the morning and I could hear the angelic choir in the heavens singing. And that was a common occurrence. I walked in the Holy Spirit. I slept in the Holy Spirit. I would wake in the morning full of the Holy Spirit. And, you know, it's been over 30 years at this point. But I think it was about a four-year period of literally being in the anointing. And, you know, not that I was some perfect, you know, you know I, I mean, I, I gave the Lord grief, you know. I mean, not meaning to, but, but, you know, I was like a dumb, you know, strong-willed teenager. Even though I was walking with him, I still had my own little agenda. Like, I remember at one point... The Lord said to me, I want you to go to this Bible study tonight. I want you to go to Bible study at a certain church. And I'm like, Lord, you know, I, I got a, a midterm tomorrow. You know. I can't go to the Bible study. I have to study. Well, I want you to go to the Bible study. Oh, Lord, I really I haven't had time with this material. I'll tell you what. You go to the Bible study, and I'll be with you when you take the test. Or you can stay home and study and take the test by yourself. I closed my book <laughs> and headed to the Bible study, right? <laughs> yeah, isn't that how it always works? You know, during this window of time, um, I made my first trip to the land of Israel. And I remember um, I had a, an airline pass. My father was an airline pilot, and so I actually had a free ticket fly anywhere in the world. I had a, a term pass in my pocket, and so all I had to do was go to the airport, show my ID, and I could just get on the plane for free, and if I wanted to fly first class, it cost me 12 bucks, and um, great deal, huh? And so I thought, you know, I want to go to Israel. I can fly over there for free, uh, but I thought it would be really rude to show up uninvited. You know, you just don't go to somebody's house without an invitation. I considered the land of Israel to really be kind of like the Lord's you know, that's the Lord's nation. And so I thought, you know, I really should ask for permission, you know, rather than to just go. And and so, you know, I would pray, Lord, I want to go to Israel. You know, can I go? And he would say, no, not yet. Okay. Well, this went on for, I don't know, better part of a year or two. Until finally one day the Lord said to me, you can go Friday. <laughs> this was like uh, maybe Wednesday. The next night I'm at a Bible study and someone was there had just come back from the land, and, and I said, yeah, I'm going tomorrow. And they're like, really? Be sure to go to the, the Christian youth hostel up in Haifa. Okay. Next day I fly to Israel, and I take a bus from Tel Aviv to Haifa, and beautiful Shabbat service. And the next morning I'm sitting there. Now, I don't have a clue what I'm doing. I just prayed, and now I'm in Israel. 
um, an American who had made Aliyah and was now living in Israel comes up to the table and he says, Hey, um, the Lord just told me I'm supposed to be your private tour guide for the next two weeks. I'm on vacation from my, uh, you know, my kibbutz, and um, now I guess I'm on assignment with you. So what do you want to do? I'm like, I have no idea. What should we do? Well, there's a prayer meeting on the Sea of Galilee later today for all the spirit-filled pastors from all the spirit-filled congregations in northern Israel. You want to go meet the living church in Israel? I'm like, yeah, sure. So literally within 24 hours, I'm on the Sea of Galilee at a prayer meeting that's so full of the Holy Spirit. And, and um, here's the underground church. And, and after... Uh, a time of prayer and a time of worship and testimony. There's a little fellowship period, and, and you know, people are having a little cookie or a coffee or whatever they do. And people are asking me, you know, how long have you been in the country? You know, and I'm, well, I just flew in yesterday. And they're like, what? How did you find this place? I've been here for two years before I could locate the underground church. And, but, you know, God had opened the door for me. And the next two weeks were just simply amazing. I mean, God had literally scheduled everything. It was really awesome. You know, one open door to another. And at the very end, I went back uh, with my tour guide, Michael, to his kibbutz, the kibbutz Inat, outside Tel Aviv. And this was a kibbutz for the survivors of the Nazi concentration camps who had been tortured, and so they're now physically somewhat disabled. And also, they had no other family. So, it was a kibbutz for literally survivors. I mean, these were the people, not only did they have the numbers on their arms, but they had been injured permanently. They didn't walk correctly. Their limbs didn't work because of the Nazi torture. And here was a group of believers that were ministering to these people. And I remember one old man who who must have been horribly tortured, and he had such love of God in him. He had not yet come to faith in Messiah, but... He already had the love of the Lord, and you could see the light in his eyes, and and uh, it was such a blessing. And and you know, from there, I had to catch a a bus to get back to Jerusalem. I'd left my luggage in Jerusalem to make my way to Ben Gurion and to to leave the country. And and I got my little map out, and I thought, well, this will be easy. You know, there was a highway from the kibbutz to a city called Petatikva, you know, the door of hope, and. Pet Tikva was where the bus transfer would occur, and I'd grab the next bus up to Jerusalem. So I thought, this will be no problem. The, on the map, Pet Tikva was right next to the main freeway, Highway 1 from Tel Aviv. You know, it's easy to find. There's only one freeway in Israel. And I thought, all I'll have to do is find the freeway and get off the bus. And so I did. We went under the freeway, and the bus stopped. And I got off the bus and thought, well, I guess this is just where I find my transfer to Jerusalem. And and I hear a voice behind me, Benjamin, you're in the wrong place. Get back on the bus. And I didn't recognize it as the Lord immediately. I thought, who would know my name here? I'm in a foreign country. You know, I'm, I'm turning around to see who's talking to me, and, and there's nobody there. And, um, for some reason, it just sort of you know, startled me. And I, I didn't know what to think for a moment. And again, the Lord repeated himself, Benjamin, you're in the wrong place. Get back on the bus. Well... You know, I had already checked my map, so I'm thinking, you know, I, I don't understand this, you know. I thought I was in the right place. So I actually, rather than just getting on the bus, it's kind of embarrassing, but it's the truth, I got my map out, 
And I thought, you know, I'll ask the Lord. So I held the map up over my head so God could read it. I know it's kind of silly, but I do that all the time. I show things to the Lord. I lift them up. And so I lifted up the map. I said, Lord, I checked this map, and look, Lord. And at that point, the Lord raised his voice with me, and he began to yell. He began to shout, I created the entire country, and I know where you are. And I don't wish to argue with you again. Get on the bus. It's leaving. And I'm thinking, again? I, I wasn't aware we'd been having arguments. But I'll take it on good authority that apparently we had had some. But I thought to myself, I'm going to get on this bus because God's yelling at me to get on this bus. But I'm still thinking my map is right. And God's made perhaps his first mistake. I get on the bus, and there's a woman seated across from me, and I said, is this Pat the Tikva? Oh, no, it's the next city. I turned to her, and I said, well, what's wrong with this map? I had the map out, and I showed it to her, and she said, oh, that's the tourist map. They made a typo and reversed the city. My map was wrong. And, you know, I was so embarrassed. I'm like, oh, Lord, I am so sorry. If you ever tell me audibly to do anything. I'm not checking the map. I'm just doing what you said. And he began to speak, and he said, you're in my perfect will right now, and I've sent you to the woman you just spoke to, to bring to her and her family my truth. So, um, you know, and I got to share the gospel with, with this family in Israel as a result of these things. But, you know, God's ways are awesome, and this Amen. age of miracles was awesome, and um, Benjamin, I, you know, I, I think um, really, um, I think we should yeah. break this into two parts because uh, at this Good. point is almost a perfect stopping place because I know the next section is an entire program and it's getting ready to get real intense. Um, I yeah, can also serious. Well, I can also tell you just from message I've been. Um, my wife uh, has been texting me this whole time, listening uh, in just in shock and uh, <laughs> telling me we need to make a movie out of this. Uh, but Benjamin, I think what she's trying to say is what you've been sharing is powerful. And um, yeah. it means something to people. And yeah, it means sure. something, I think the whole point of a Benjamin of tonight's show is that moment that you came home and the Lord was waiting for you. And uh, That's intense, isn't it? Yeah, and I think there's so many people out there tonight, Benjamin, that are feeling that, you know, have I gone too far type feeling. Oh, and Satan is right there to accuse them, and you know, and and, yeah. and his accusations, that's, you know, that's the frontal attack. He's in your face accusing you and, you know, saying the Word of God doesn't apply in your life, and he's a liar. Yeah. You know, folks, okay. this has been... This has been literally one of the best shows I've ever had. Um, and, and Benjamin, I've heard some of these little pieces over the years, but thanks for bringing it all together in one piece and reminding us how amazing God is. And, and folks, as you're going to hear on the next episode, there are seasons in our life that we go through in, yep. with the Lord. And it's not always on top of the Mount of Mount Carmel slaying the prophets of Baal. Sometimes it's in the valley 
and we feel like Jezebel's after us. And um, but God's faithful, and and He's been faithful with Benjamin. And and Benjamin, thank you. Just God bless you for what you've shared tonight, folks. You do not want to miss part two next week because this is going to be so intense of what's coming. Um, you're, it's just going to be amazing. And so, Benjamin, thank you again. God bless you. For me, it's a dream come true to have you be able to share all this on one episode where people don't have to go around to try to pick up the little bits and pieces. And uh, actually, you shared one part that I hadn't even heard before. So praise the Lord God for that. And um, so anyways, folks, um, this is Brother Frank tonight just saying, hey, listen, God is it's not too late. You you might think like Benjamin that you maybe you went too far. Maybe you you fell on out of the good graces of God, but but as Benjamin was was sharing that the whole time the Lord had been waiting for him to come back home. And I don't know what's going on in your life right now. But but the prodigal son he didn't have to go home and look for his dad. The Bible said he was looking, and when he saw him, he took off running. And I believe the Lord is just waiting for you to come back, no matter how bad it's been. And so, Benjamin, I, could you just close us out with a word of prayer tonight? Amen. Amen. Father, I just pray that you would touch the hearts of the people, Lord, that your word of truth would would work the work that only you can do. Lord, that you would awaken uh, the sleeping saints unto righteousness, Lord. There's so many deceivers that have come. So many have come in your name to deceive the many, Lord. But, but there's a remnant for whom the truth has been reserved. Lord, I thank you. You've called us to speak to the remnant. So I ask, Lord, that your word would be fruitful in their lives. I pray that the enemy would not be able to steal it or, or corrupt it in any way. Lord, let your word of truth go forth to accomplish your purpose in this hour in the lives of your remnant. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, everybody. What a powerful show. Folks, don't miss out next week for part two of uh, Good Grief, this powerful testimony of Benjamin Baruch. And this is Brother Frank and Brother Benjamin here on the Remnant Call. Send everybody good night and shalom.